the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to see you today. Glad you are able to be with us. And uh, today we continue a study in the book of Romans. We've been going through the book of Romans for several months now. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to chapter 6 in the book of Romans. And we kind of get ready for our time together. And it's going to be fun today, a little bit different than, than, uh, than usual. Uh, when I come to chapter 6 in Romans, the first three chapters you'll remember in the book of Romans... Paul really helps us recognize that we are sinners separated from God. He allows us to understand the penalty of that sin that separates us from God, which is death, eternal death, separation. And then in chapter 4 and 5, Paul introduces us to this this word justification. And he says, you know what? Even though we are separated from God by our sin, God loves us. And he has made a way that our sin debt can be forgiven. And he did that by coming and living and dying and paying that sin debt himself. And so those chapters four and five talk about how we are made right with God through Jesus. Not anything I do, not the way I live, not by being baptized or church membership, but because of what Jesus has done and by faith in him, I can be forgiven. And then in chapter six, seven and eight, Paul begins to kind of tell us what that looks like in our life. How does that play out if Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and he has opened the door for us to walk in the victory that he's given us? And so in 6, 7, and 8, he kind of talks about that and and, uh, the book opens up and it really gets kind of fun. Now, when we get to chapter 6, though, I never open my Bible to Romans chapter 6 that I'm not reminded of an individual who is a part of this church who had a big impact in my life. Um, Aren't you glad that God puts people in our lives that just really are used to just bring us to another place in our walk with him? And I think every one of us have, have, have somebody that God's used or multiple people God used. Well, one of the people that God used in my life, it happened after I came here as your pastor. And 24 years ago when I came here, there was a couple that were a part of our church, and, uh, and his name was Bill Gillum. Bill and Annabelle Gillum were a part of our church, and Bill had a ministry called Lifetime Guarantee, and, and uh, God had just used Bill to make an impact in so many people's lives. And Bill just really knew how to love a pastor. I mean, he just loved on me and poured into me, and, and we have had so many amazing, valuable times together as God used him to teach me and open my heart to new things. And, and, uh, I, and I cannot come to Romans chapter 6 that I don't, I don't hear Bill Gillum in my ear speaking some of those truths that he taught us. In fact, he's really, and many of you are, uh, he, he died before you arrived, and so you don't know him, but you're still standing on his shoulders because he really was used by God in our church to kind of lay a foundation for much of what 
God's doing and in, in has done in the life of our church. Even the vernacular of our church has changed. Bill was the guy who used to refer to our body as our earth suit. Some of you remember that, and you'll still hear people talk about our earth suit. Well, that's, that's a Bill Gillum comment that kind of stuck along the way, and there are a lot of those uh, along the way. So what happened was I got to chapter 6, and as I was studying through it, I thought, oh, Lord, I sure would love an opportunity to sit down with Bill, but I know that he wouldn't want to leave heaven to come here and uh, spend a minute with me, but boy, I'd love to be able to ask him some questions. And then I had this thought, well, what if I call Bill's son, Press, who took over that ministry after, and I get to ask him the questions? And so I picked up the phone and I called Press and I said, Press, I've got this crazy idea. And it was just a couple of days ago that I called him. So, I mean, this is spur of the moment. I sprung this on everybody. And I said, would you come and just sit down and let's talk through Romans chapter 6 together. Some of the best growth opportunities for me are when I have an opportunity to sit down with another person and just talk through the text. So I'm just going to give you an opportunity just to listen as we just kind of talk through this text. And I want to ask some questions that I know, Bill, were just fundamental to the ministry that God gave them that I think uh, he is positioned in a better place than I am to help you understand that. And so I'm going to invite Press up in just a moment, but let me read through the first 11 verses of chapter 6, and then we're going to unpack that together with uh, the help of a dear friend of mine and one that's no stranger to Southcliff and, and, and Press. What shall we say then? Verse 1, chapter 6. Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? Now, you remember in chapter 5, Paul has talked to us a little bit about um, the law and how the law helps us recognize that we are sinners. And, 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 uh, and the more we recognize our sin, the greater the grace of God. So he's kind of anticipating a question that people might ask. Okay, well, if... if, if, if if an awareness of sin or sin in our life increases the presence of grace, shouldn't we sin more so that we can get more grace? And so Paul knows we're going to ask that ridiculous question. So he asks it for us and he just says, no, and moves on. But he unpacks that later. But look what he says. So are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, sure, uh, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. 
For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to tell you something. I think these first 11 verses are absolutely critical for you to understand if you're going to walk in the victory that God has for you. So, would you join me in welcoming Press Gillum to come as he kind of uh, joins me in sharing a little bit about this. I would be amiss, Press, if I didn't say uh, welcome to Diane. We're so glad that she's able to come and be a part, and uh, she's no stranger to us, too. So, brother, thanks for coming at last-minute notice and let me put you on the hot spot. My privilege. All it's right. great to be here. Well, I Good tell to you. see you guys. Man, your dad has just left fingerprints all over the place. And, of course, yeah, it goes without saying that, that uh, your mom <laughs> did, too, because yeah. uh, she was probably a better teacher than he was. Though, uh, true. Uh, though I, don't, I don't know that I would. Well, yeah, I would, would probably have told him that. So. Yeah. Nonetheless, he, he knew. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so as well. He well, knew. anyway, let's just jump to it. Yeah. Um, man, this passage of scripture is so rich, but it's, it's challenging in a way. And I think Paul understood that because he was talking about, um, he was talking about sin. And so he just kind of opens up and says, okay, um, let's just talk about this for a minute and, and unpack that and help you understand what it means. So let's just jump right into it where, where he says, um, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus and baptized into his death? And if we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so Christ was raised, what does it mean when he says that we are baptized into the death of Christ. So, so what do you think he's getting at there? Well, it's a great question, and it's, uh, it's central to the passage because Paul has created a, a, a really significant problem in his first five chapters. And, of course, it's not that he just came up with this. But what he's really trying to say is uh, there is a profound problem between us and God. And it exists on, on two planes, and it's this word sin. And the word sin is used in two different ways throughout this passage and continuing through into, into chapter 7 and 8. But there is sin as in a failure to perform. In other words, uh, our, we do things that are displeasing to God, that are against his heart, that are rebellious toward him. So uh, all of us are aware that we fall short and that uh, we do things that are, are wrong and, and, and so forth. And that's what sin in this context means, to fall short of, of God's ideal. Mm -hmm. The second use of sin, though, he really gets at in the previous chapter, chapter 5, where he identifies us with our predecessor, Adam. Mm -hmm. And when he does that, what he's really saying to us is not only that you have done things that are sinful, but you are sin. You are fundamentally flawed as a human being. In fact, uh, I like the phrase that Dallas Willard uses. He says, as far as God is concerned, we are irretrievably useless to God. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it really begs the question, well, why, why, God, would you come for us? Why would you do, why would you initiate the gospel? And it's a great question. 
And the, the only answer is his mercy. But the second question is, okay, well, if you're going to come for us, how are you going to do this? And he lays out that idea in a big concept in chapter five, where he says, if you died in one man, Adam, mm -hmm. then there is life available to you through, through Jesus Christ. And so that's what happens. And grace is initiated, as you pointed out, and it's abounding and whatnot. So in Jesus Christ, God solved his two problems with us. The problem of our sinful performance, our shortfalls, as well as, second of all, the problem of us yeah. not being a righteous people. It's, and, and the words that I use sometimes when we're talking about that is that we are, we are sinners by nature and yes. by choice. So yes. the, the nature, that sinful nature he was getting at and the choice is that, that, that we have sinned. And that's a really big problem. I mean, I can resolve to try, to, to try harder and perform better, but to tell me that I have to change my nature to be accepted by God. Now that's a, that's a problem. That's like telling me that, that I have to change the color of my eyes or something. I, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, how, is, how did God fix this problem? Uh, this just, how did he justify in his own mind extending life to us who are fundamentally rebellious toward him? And it is then in that passage that you were referring to a, a, a moment ago. He identified us as being in Christ when Christ died. So he took that sinful nature, that person that we were in Adam, and he crucified that old self, as the, as the, the passage talks about in uh, verse 5, I believe. He crucified that old self in Jesus Christ and killed it and he buried it and then he raised up a brand new person with a new nature a new heart a new desire to walk with him so so the really cool thing about what he's saying is that when Jesus died and we all talk about the fact that Jesus died for me he died on the cross in my place Paul is saying oh, oh no you died with him in that because when he uses the word baptize and there's there's two ways that word's used uh, one of them refers to water baptism yeah. but both of them are, are um, both of them are defined the same way the word baptize in your bible is a transliteration of a greek word what that means is the greek word for baptize is baptismo and so when the translators translated that word rather than than telling us what the word means they just kind of made an english word out of a greek word and said baptize uh, but the word literally means to immerse or to dip or to, um, and, and I guess if we use that word immerse, it kind of brings out what, what you're talking about. We have been immersed into Christ. Yeah. So, so when he died, he's saying through faith in him, our sin nature died with him. Yeah. Yeah. And so when he was raised, and is now alive we were raised with him too because he talks about the fact that we are baptized we are immersed into his death 
buried with him into death so that we might be raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we can walk in the newness of life. So talk about that newness of life. So he could have left us there, you know. I mean, we deserved death. Uh, We did not deserve mercy or grace or forgiveness or anything else from God. That's the big question in chapter 5. Is there any, and this is God thinking, is there any justification to extend life to these people? And when he decides that there is and decides that the means by which he'll do this is Jesus Christ, then he not only buried us, but he raised us. And he exchanged our old life for new life. In, In fact, he gave us the life of Jesus Christ. And so when we become followers of Jesus, we are new people with a new source of life and we are endowed then with the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us in order to live and express the life of Jesus Christ in and through us. And we are integrally involved in that dynamic life. So back to the word baptize, I'll throw one of dad's words on you here. When he thought about baptism, he said, this is just a pantomime of what Romans chapter six is talking about. So when I go into the baptismal uh, waters and I am buried with Christ and raised to walk in new life, what we're doing is we are pantomiming what Romans 6 is telling us actually happened when we became believers. Hmm. So <coughs> we, have a, we have a sin nature. We're sinners by nature and by choice. But through faith in Christ, we get a new nature? Absolutely. We have to. We have to, because, because you, cannot, you cannot have the presence of God living in you and be a sinner. I mean, that's not possible. You've got to be a new person because God, I mean, God would not tolerate sin. So that, he, has to make us, he has to make us entirely new. Now, that, that reminds me of a conversation that I had with your dad many, many times. And, and I actually... Sometimes I would just throw it out there just to get him going, honestly, would, would do that. But to, if you wanted to really get Bill cranked up, all you had to do is say, well, we're just sinners saved by grace. And, uh, and all of you would say, oh, amen, we're sinners saved by grace. And Bill would say, no, 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 no. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint, saint who sins. sins. Right. Now... That goes with what we're talking about here. Absolutely. So help us understand that one because I tell you, I bet most of you, if I were to say to you, we are just sinners saved by grace, probably most of you would say, well, yeah, that's a good description of who I am. Bill would say, no, 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 no. Based on this and other passages of scripture where Paul even gets more specific, he would say, that's not true. You are not a sinner. And I guess what he's getting at is the fact that when we, by faith, receive Christ, we enter into his death, we now receive a new nature. Yes. And that new nature is not the old nature of sin. Right. 
So did I just answer it for you or you, you do it better? You, you, no, no, you, you have you, such you answered command. It beautifully. Yeah. You did, you did you answered it beautifully. Here's an illustration. So I've got a friend who became a follower of Jesus late in life. And so he had lots of patterning for how he, how his life of sin worked. And uh, so he becomes a follower of Jesus a couple years after he's talking to me and he says, you know, I'm, I'm I still have the problem of noticing women in tight sweaters and that bothers me. And he, the implication of his question was nothing really fundamentally changed when I became a believer because I had that problem before I became a believer. And I said to him, I said, well, uh, before you became a believer, was that problematic to you to notice this and to lust after this woman? He said, no. And I said, but it's a problem now. And he said, yeah. And I said, that's the new nature. Before, you would not have had a problem here because sin was what you were. It was what drove you. It was the desire of your darkened heart, to, to quote Jeremiah, you know? Yeah. And so when we become new in Jesus Christ, it's not that we uh, all of a sudden have the capability to live sinless perfection out, but rather it is that we become new in our nature, nature being the thing that drives us, the very, the very operational means by which we live life, how we think and, and how we emote and how we connect with God, etc. Instead of that being uh, sinful and rebellious toward God, it is new. I desire to walk with God. I desire to please God. When I fail at that, it grieves me. It hurts, it hurts me. Uh, and all of that is uh, a witness, a testimony that something fundamental has changed in me. In fact, that's what Paul is really kind of getting at when he starts this chapter. Because as you pointed out, he, he says, should we just continue in sin uh, that grace may abound? And the implication is, well, sure, uh, we should do that because um, I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want. I can sin all I want. I, uh, you know, the forgiveness covers all of that. And grace just superabounds with that. The question is, well, how much do you want to do that? And the answer that he says is, well, that's preposterous. That's unthinkable. And the reason it's unthinkable is because I've got a new nature. It, it wasn't unthinkable prior to Romans 6 because there's all sorts of sin and all sorts of degradation and, and so forth in the first five chapters. And, and it's not a problem. I mean, it's a problem in that we're trying to problem solve it, but nobody's torn up about it until we get to Romans 5, and all of a sudden we realize, oh, there is a profound distance between God and me. God solves it, and then he comes and says, has anything changed? Do you want to follow sin? And the answer is, absolutely not. So there is something new that happens to us. Um, Romans 6 is the explanation 
So it's three parts. He, the first part we just talked about. The second part is you died. The third part is, and you were made alive in Christ. And so what does it mean then to be alive? What, what changes? I've got a new heart, got a new nature. I've got a new set of desires. Uh, I want what God wants. How do I implement? Now, based on that, and I, and I think that's important because sometimes we look at this and he, and he goes on to say, when he talks about how, how that done, um, knowing that the old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we are no longer slaves to sin. Yeah. There, there are some who have really taken this text to the extreme and said, well, it's possible for us to, 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 to attain perfection and, and, and to come to a place where I am without sin. And I don't think Paul is saying that at all. In fact, to, to your point in the example that you gave, it's not the I'll, I'll say it this way, it's not the perfection of our life, but the direction of our life that kind of gives um, e evidence of that. So what does he mean when he says we're no, uh, with, with this new nature, we're no longer slaves to sin, or even, even further, uh, that we're dead to sin? So, so I, I remember distinct conversations that I had with Bill about being dead to sin. So. Talk about that for a minute. So in this, in this use of the word sin, Paul is not talking necessarily about the things that you do wrong that are performance things. Rather, he is talking about an entity called sin, a power uh, that, uh, as dad would say, is a noun in the, in the passage. And so a noun is a person, place, or a thing. And so he's talking about, or Paul is talking about, there is another player involved in this dynamic issue of life. So as a believer, I live a dynamic life, meaning I walk with God, I grow. It's not static, in other words. I'm, I am learning how to live in a manner that is representative of the transformation that has happened because of Jesus Christ's entrance into my life. But there's another player. Uh, there's temptation that comes to me. There is a temptation to follow after the old way that I used to live, all of that patterning, and we struggle with this. And Paul really gets into it in a, trans seven, in, yeah. a in a very transparent way in the next chapter. Mm -hmm. And we all struggle with this. And so the question is, okay, so I'm new uh, person. I've got a new heart. I, I've got a new nature. I want what God wants. And yet I fall short. What's going on here? And so Paul knows that he's got to answer this question. And he introduces us to this person of sin. The, the, um, the first time that this word in this particular use of sin occurs is way back at the very first book in the Bible, Genesis. And in chapter four, the uh, two brothers, Cain and Abel, are there. And Cain is contemplating whether or not to kill his brother, Abel. And uh, God comes to him and says to him, Cain, uh, your countenance is fallen. Uh, why are you downcast? And then he says, do you not know 
that sin, sin is crouching mm -hmm. at the at the heart at your heart's door and his desire is for you but you must master him and so the <clears throat> the image here yes Cain is contemplating performing badly he's contemplating murder committing murder but that's not what God comes to talk to him about he comes to say, there is an entity, there is a power, something that possesses capacity, and it is crouching at the door of your heart, and its desire is to take you, its desire is to get you, but you must master him, implying that you have the power to say no. And so it's the same uh, it's the same entity here in Romans 6. Sin is crouching at the door of every one of our new hearts in order to try to deceive us into living in a way that is contrary to what we want and what God's best is for us. Hmm. Let me stop. Does this help you? This is the kind of dialogue that just stimulates me, and I hope you can hang with us and, and are hanging with us in, in the conversation, but can we talk some press about the practical application of that? Because I think sometimes it's, it's an awareness that sin is crouching at the door, and, and I know that it wants me because I, I've yielded before. How do I overcome? I mean, he's saying that I'm dead to sin, what does that mean and, 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 and not, I'm not a slave to it any longer? And so what do you think he, he would help have us understand that we could do to, to make sure that we master it? So the, it? It's, it's, let's not gloss over the fact that we are dead to sin. Um, in other words, um, a dead person is non-responsive. If you think about it, I mean, you can do whatever you want to to a dead person. I mean, I think there are rules about what you can and you can't do. But anyway, uh, whatever you do, they're non-responsive. And, and so what, what the passage is saying is, is you're going to be tempted by this entity. It's how the dark forces are structured uh, against the kingdom of God. And and the kingdom of God lives in us. And so you're going to be tempted. And I'll offer a few thoughts about that in a moment. But just so you know, you don't have to obey because you're new. And uh, the scripture says here in this chapter, the death that Christ died, he died to sin one time. So he took care of it for all of us. So just, so when we talk about being identified with the death of Christ, part of what comes along in that package is, uh, yes, my old self died, but I died to sin because the new person that is raised uh, is now uh, no longer a slave because my nature's changed. Uh, there's nothing, I mean, prior to, Prior to salvation, I am in bondage to sin, just like a slave is. But after salvation, I'm a brand new person. And so that new person is no longer a slave to sin, and yet 
sin still exists. It's still in the world, if you will. So what, what happens? Why do I stumble here? So um, if you think about it, uh, you have, I have, you as well, we all have patterns, habits for the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we behave. And it's, these are patterns for everything from the way that we brush our teeth to the way that we sin, okay? Because our lives are habitual. I mean, that's, we all run in an habitual kind of a way. It's like a, a program, if you will. And um, so what happens then is these habits that exist in all of our lives for living independent from God, in other words, doing things my, my own way, and you just kind of think for a moment here. Think about, uh, if, I was, if, if I was to say, what are your besetting sins? In other words, those things that you continually stub your toe on, that trip you up, there'll be you know, three or four or five things that should come to mind right away that, that are constantly bothersome to you. Whatever those things are, the reason those are consistently bothersome to you, number one, because you have strong patterning for that, but number two, because this entity, sin, is tempting you along those lines. So, a ridiculous example. I can honestly say that I have never been seriously tempted to rob a bank. Now, people do rob banks, and, and people sin that way. I've just never been tempted that way. I don't know, I wouldn't know the first thing about how to go rob a bank, right? I mean, all of us in the last two years have walked into a bank with a mask on and asked for money, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, but I wouldn't know how to do that because yeah. I have no patterning for that. But if you ask me about, well, how often do you lapse into self-condemnation? Hmm. Pretty frequently. It's one of my besetting sins. And so what happens? So like today, mm -hmm. um, I guarantee you that as soon as this is over with and I go back to my chair over here, I guarantee you that this entity, sin, is going to approach me. And it's going to, he's going to offer up a thought to me. And the thought that is going to come is, I should have done better. Uh, if I had only had a little more time to prepare. Uh, I should, I said uh, too many times. I just said one right there. I'll hear about that later. I, I said uh, too many times. I should have worn slacks, not jeans. You know, uh, I should have done my hair better. <laughs> anyway, you get the drift of what I'm saying. And the, if I buy into that comment, that, that suggestion, the suggestion is that I am less because of my performance. That's self-condemnation. I cannot be less if I'm a child of God. Now I can perform poorly, and you may be assessing the performance this morning saying, why did Carol invite that guy? 
you know. My point is, I have a pattern for self-condemnation. My enemy, sin, will attack along that pattern, and I have a, a choice as to how I will respond. I can say, oh, yeah, I should have. If only I would uh, not hesitate like that. If only, gosh, if only I was smarter. If only I had quoted that verse a little better or, I mean, whatever, okay? That is self-condemnation and I am sinning at that point for me. Mm -hmm. Or I can say, you know what? I'm dead to that. I don't have to go along with that accusation. No. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I trusted you. You lived your life through me. And um, if there's, you know, something that I can do differently, then I'm open to that. But that has no bearing on my standing with you, yeah. on who I am. Yeah. And so that, that's getting at verse 11 here. Even so, consider yourself right. dead to sin. The thing that's fascinating about this passage, Carol, is the way that it's, the way that it's structured in the grammar is that it is very definitive. Uh, in other words, this is not like a mystery kind of a passage. This is not speculative uh, kind of a passage. There is no question but what you died in Jesus Christ and were raised up a brand new person. That is crystal clear in this passage. But then when we get to verse 11, it switches and it becomes speculative. Um, even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. And it's written in a way that's doubtful, that is questioning. And here's why. Because the question is, it's, it, the question is not whether the work of Christ was sufficient or not. The question is, Will you believe it? Mm. The question is, will you take this aboard? And um, uh, there's an old word that I like better than consider. It's the word reckon. Yeah. Uh, in other words, uh, and reckon is one of those words that's kind of like, uh, like a navigational type idea. So if I, you know, like when I leave the auditorium here, I will notice the doors and head that direction. And in navigational terms, that's called dead reckoning. I see where I'm supposed to go and I'm going to go that way. I'm gonna reckon that to be true. And that's what verse 11 is saying. There's no question about the previous 10 verses. There's no question what God has done. There's no question about the the sufficiency of Christ. There's no question but what the Holy Spirit lives in you. There is no question but what God has resolved all of his issues with you. The only question that remains is, will you believe? Will you believe? And will you then act? Will you take this aboard? And when I go sit down next to Diane, will I say no when that temptation arrives? That's the question. And Paul's going to, to work that out 
in one of the most uh, dark, tumultuous, candid passages in, yeah. the, in the entire Bible. I mean, he just pours his heart out and he basically does. says, okay, here's where I struggle. Yeah. Absolutely. And how in the world am I going to get out of this? And he even gives us the answer to that in the first part of chapter 8. Um, well, wow. Um, the only downside of our conversation together is that I'm, I'm kind of as energized talking to you as I was your dad. So it may be that <laughs> that's that, um, I'm going <laughs> to really be giving you a hard time <laughs> in the days to come. But I, I wanted to do this today. I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to, to open this text in a way that makes you think and, and process and work through uh, to, to come to the place where we understand uh, what Paul is saying and the dynamic of this new life that you have. And that was one of the things that I think your dad's ministry was so given to um, was the fact that, that so many of us don't live like this. Right. And um, he wrote an amazing book. He, he wrote a couple of books. His dad, um, Lifetime Guarantee, uh, was kind of the first book that really talks about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ um, and we ordered some copies, but because it was so late in the week when I had this brainstorm idea of doing this, um, those books hadn't come in yet, but they're going to be available to you. Um, they're certainly available on Amazon. And, and we ordered a couple of, uh, several copies of your book. I don't know if you were able to bring some with you this morning, but, um, we ordered some copies of, of Press's newest book, um, that really talks about uh, spiritual disciplines and it really kind of gets into some of the practical yeah. application of this. Yeah. Because when you were talking about the habits, uh, the whole concept of spiritual disciplines, which is kind of a bad word today, which is, is sad, but, um, but speaks to how we can develop new habits. Yeah. Uh, and, and position us uh, to live that new life. And so those will be available to us. Oh, great question. What, what do you got, Jerry? Okay. Um, and it's, he said he was confused a little bit about sin crouching at the door, the example you gave, and the forces of evil. It's the same, really. It's talking about um, sin crouching at the door. Temptation is the enemy. We have an enemy, and Satan is working to attack. And I would say it this way. He knows us well. So he knows the areas of weakness. So that's why he attacks in those patterns of our life and the habits of our life. Um, isn't, it, isn't it crazy that I can almost predict where Satan will attack Absolutely. and yet I keep falling. And that's what Paul talks about in chapter seven when he says, wait a minute, the very thing I say I'm not going to do is the very thing I do. So I, I would say, and, and would you concur that the, the enemy crouching it, that's just really Satan and and evil and all of the powers of Satan yeah. that are fighting against us. Is it? Yeah, we live, it, it's as though we're caught, Carol, in between uh, the forces of light and the forces of dark. That's what living in this fallen world is like. Mm -hmm. Now, is that something that I take seriously? Yes, and I respect it, I respect that power. Is it? Is it something that I need to be afraid of or something? And absolutely not. I'm dead to that. 
um, and I'm filled with the life of Christ. There is nothing that can separate me from God. There's nothing that can, can take me outside of his love. There's, there's, there's nothing that, that I can do that will improve upon my standing with God. And there's also nothing I can do that will um, diminish my standing with God because all of my standing with God is, is established by Jesus Christ. And he tells me, okay, now let's work out, this is another passage of scripture, not in chapter six, but let's work out what happened to you when you became a believer. So in this dynamic life, you're tempted, Um, you can say no. The other piece of that story that I didn't tell you is before I ever got in the truck this morning to drive here, I set my mind on a passage of scripture, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the the thing that I did was I seized upon an initiative, a divine initiative to, to take the scripture and make it powerful in my life by going directly against what I know my temptation will be. And so I set my mind on that passage of scripture. And what I mean by that is at some point in time, it wasn't this morning, it was years ago. I said, okay, this problem of self-condemnation, surely, there is a passage of scripture that talks about this and it's Romans 8, 1. And so what I'm saying is I went, went to the Bible and I said, Father God, I need a passage of scripture that, that countermands what the, what the law of sin is telling me over and over and over. I need a weapon here and it's Romans 8, 1. And so I, I, know when I come into a situation like this, where I'm going to be performing, Mm -hmm. that I must set my mind ahead of time so that it is clear and focused because I know there's going to be this attack. And sometimes the attack will be direct, sometimes it will be oblique. But the point is, I will be attacked. And it may come tomorrow. But the point is, I don't have to go along with that. I'm free to say no, and I can focus on the the truth here. Wow, I wish we had time to just keep going and going and going. This has been great for me, and I trust that it has been encouraging to you. Now, one quick question for you. Um, I'm thinking, I've not read your your latest book, but I'm thinking that as as I read you know, what it was about, you're really going to kind of address what you're talking about in that book. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So let me just recommend that to you. We'll have it available. Uh, If you brought some copies with you. I do. I'll have to go there. I didn't get out of the truck with them. All right. So there's the condemnation. We we may have some there, but it's, uh, it's also costly financially. Yeah. But we'll have them next. uh, We'll have them next week anyway. It's Uh, called rigorous grace. And so we'll have them, we'll have them available for you soon. Uh, that you can walk through that. So thank you, man. This has just been 
uh, helpful for me, and I pray that it has been for you and just something different uh, as we walk through it. And we might just need to do this again, you know, uh, as we just kind of walk through that text. It might be that, um, you know, we'll just get in the habit of calling you at last minute and saying, hey, drop what you're doing and get over here and, and, uh, and help me out. But thank you so much for, for doing that. Will you join me in just saying thanks to Preston? So you can go and thank you, brother. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.